0: Heavenly Father, thank you for all of our mothers, the women who birthed us, who raised us, who loved us, who taught us, who prayed for us, who give their lives for our sake. I ask that you bless these women, spiritual, birth, adoptive, step, foster, second moms, work moms, grandmoms, soon-to-be moms, grieving moms, God. Lord, we know that you cherish all women and that you radically change their lives through their children, no matter how their children come to them. Lord, on the cross, as you hung, you gave your earthly mom, grieving in your tragedy, a son in John to care for you, to show us that no mom is forgotten in grief and loss. And I ask for that type of comfort for those moms who are grieving. Lord, only you can provide that type of comfort and that type of grief. Let, the, let your people rally around those women today compassionately. On the flip side, I know some of us have immense sadness because the loss of our moms Please bring those people joyful memories, memories that they can reflect on knowing that their moms are only lost on this plane of reality, but they are with you in glorious eternity. Today, let your holiness become known to to each and every one of us. Let your forgiveness reign supreme in our hearts and let your authority wash over us so that we are filled with awe and prompted to action. God, we seek your glory and your presence. Lord, we know you deserve more than we can ever give or do. Thank you for receiving us and proudly calling us son and daughter. Lord, through you, we have meaning and value that the world just cannot give. Just continue to overflow our lives with your everlasting goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, we're going to conclude our little mini-series in Isaiah 6 um, with this big idea, with the idea that God's calling compels us to go. The idea that I want you to leave here today is... That God's calling compels us to go. Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 1 through 13 today. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the trains of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips." For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it would be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Here's some context, friend. just a little bit of review from the last two weeks. Uzziah was the king of Judah for 52 years. 52 years, that's a long and illustrious career. And for most of his reign, and you can read this in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, the Bible said that Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He lived in the fear of the Lord, the Bible says. And in fact, you know, what, what we see in 2 Chronicles, right, is that God blessed Uzziah and the nation of Judah because of his faithfulness, because of his faithfulness. But towards the end of Uzziah's reign, he became proud and unfaithful to God, you know, and his unfaithfulness to God, what wasn't, um, it didn't result in a deconstruction of faith. It didn't result in idolatry or, or pagan, pa- pagan worship, right? It became something much, much more simpler, something much more practical that we're all aware of. He became self-righteous and angry at the people of God, for trying to help him become a better person. Does that sound familiar? Right? How many of us have ever gotten self-righteously angry at people trying to make sure that we're learning and doing the right thing? Right? right, Let let me change that because I get like a lot of glazed looks, right? How many of us, how many of us are guilty of being defiantly stubborn? Yeah, yeah, I get more people, right? I'm willing to own it, right, as long as you are right? And in fact, my mom used to tell my brother and myself when we were growing up, just wait till you have kids. They'll teach you, right? And sure enough, Kate at three and Clara at three months teaching me every single moment. My defiant stubbornness knows no ends, right? And so Uzziah, and this is the context this is happening, in Uzziah, because he's proud, because he's a king, because in his mind he fears the Lord, he's doing what's right in the In the Lord's eye, he he worships God. He wants to offer God an offering in the temple. The problem was he was ceremonially unclean, right? So he was ceremonially unclean, trying to do the right thing, trying to do the right thing. The motive was right, but he was doing it the wrong way. So 80 priests, not eight, but 80 priests got together, trying to persuade the king, king, if you do this, this is gonna mess you up. Let us do it for you because we are ready for this. That's when Uzziah got angry. His pride, his pride got the best of him and said, I don't need you. And his anger burst, right? And and this is what happened, right? At that very moment, the Bible says, on his forehead, leprosy started to break out. At that point forward, at that point forward, he was kicked out of his own home because of his own loss. A leper couldn't be in the towns. It couldn't be in the city. He was kicked out of his own home as the king of Judah. He died unceremoniously. He was buried in a random field, owned randomly by the monarchy. He wasn't even buried with his predecessors. His legacy, 52 years because of his unfaithfulness thrown out the window. And so the reason I'm sharing this with you all is not because you know, th- this man is such a great figure. But because to the prophet Isaiah, this man was also a foreshadow of what Isaiah was seeing. You, you see, what we see in 2 Chronicles 26 is that Isaiah, the prophet, was the guy in charge of recording the deeds and the great works of Uzziah. So imagine now, the guy that you're writing the biography of just died unceremoniously because he broke out into leprosy for his unfaithfulness. Hope is lost, right? To Isaiah, hope is lost. And this is the context that we see Isaiah 6. There is no more hope. The foreshadowing is there, right? What's going, what happened to Uzziah is going to happen to the nation. They're going to be left exiled to die at random places, buried randomly by places that they don't even own. Their legacy unknown. And that's exactly when God enters the picture. You see, in verses 1 through 4, Isaiah describes being in the presence of God's holy throne room. He witnesses the glory of God in the face of hopelessness. He lost all hope when his friend died, right? And his hope was restored only only because he got to witness the holiness of God despite how unholy he is, and he realizes that. He realizes how unholy he is, yet he gets a chance to take a sneak peek into this. And then in verses 5 to 7, Isaiah is offered the forgiveness of sins and then reconciliation with God, uh, a reconciliation that allows Isaiah an audience with God. And this is what's so amazing in verses 5 to 7, the forgiveness that Isaiah is offered. It's not offered because Isaiah earned it or did something. It's offered as grace from God. You, you see, the, the seraphim commanded by God, did for Isaiah what he couldn't do for himself. He atoned for Isaiah's sin with that coal from the altar. And that's what reconciled Isaiah to God. You see, this image, it's representative of how God reconciles himself to us through Jesus Christ, isn't it? Upon our recognition of our sinfulness and our desperate need of God, just like Isaiah, we can trust that Jesus would we'll cleanse us from our sins and bring us into rightful communion with him. In fact, th- this is the type of grace that God invites us into out of his own volition. He sent his one and only son to live a perfect life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for us, to die a death that he didn't deserve so that he could take the sins of many, our sins. And the wrath of God was poured on him. His blood sacrifice was accepted and satisfied the justice required by a holy God. But death can hold Jesus back, and he was resurrected. You see, none of us receive eternal life that Jesus Christ offers in his death and resurrection unless we're willing to let die the obstinance, the sins, the hard-heartedness that keeps us from admitting our need from God to let our Uzziahs die. You see, this is why the death of Uzziah was so noteworthy. It's because when our pride dies, because pride has no sense of needing God, that God comes to us. And in our undeservingness, he gives us his grace because he wants to gift us the thing that we desire most, to be in his presence, to give us hope beyond hopelessness, beyond death. And so here we are in the presence of God with the people chosen by God, a bunch of us undeserving invited to be in the presence of God to worship him and to witness his glory. That's what church is. None of us belong here, but we're here because God invites us, because we have this privilege given to us in our hopelessness. Let's look at verses 7 and 8 again. The seraphim touched my mouth and said, behold, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord. The immediate effect of God's atonement for our sins is reconciliation with him. Right? And when you are reconciled with God, you hear directly from God. Uh, I I wanted you to see this in verse 8. In verse 8, it says, and, right? And I heard. And I heard the voice of the Lord. Immediately after Isaiah was reconciled with God, Isaiah overheard God speaking. Until that point, he saw God. He heard the angels speaking. But this is the first time he heard God speaking. And God was speaking directly to him. You, You see, the call of Isaiah is not unique to prophets or particularly devout individuals, right? If you are reconciled with God through the atonement of your sins, then hearing the voice of God is the norm. And Isaiah illustrates this just by saying how unworthy he was before God atones for him, right? He describes himself like we would describe ourselves before a holy God, unworthy. And yet God still reconciles with Isaiah, giving us hope, letting us know that our God, the God that we worship is alive today speaking to us because he reconciles himself to us Through his son, through his son, right? Do do, do you think he, he reconciles himself to be silent so that we can practice empty theology? No, that's a waste of time. He didn't give up his one and only son just so that that can happen. He gave up his one and only son so that we could hear his voice, so that we can listen for God's calling. I know that just opened up a can of worms, listening for God's calling. But the voice of God, it comes to us in many ways. I'm going to describe a few, right? It comes from the Bible directly. The Bible is breathed out by God for the teaching, correction, reproof, and equipping of God's people, right? That's 2 Timothy. It comes to us in visions like Isaiah. It comes through prayer. Yes, when you pray and give God space to talk, he will talk back. It comes in the form of miracles because guess what? God still works through miracles. People placing their faith in Jesus, that's a miracle, right? That's a miracle. It comes through preachers. Sometimes I have some important things to say that are not from me, obviously, but they're coming from God and invites you and challenges you, not like me, but like God can. It comes through the Holy Spirit, prompting your conscience, your thoughts, your hearts. It comes from other believers speaking into your life. You just got to be listening for God's calling. And here's the thing about God's voice, right? That no matter how he's speaking to you, he is clear, he is personal, and he always confirms himself. And this is where it gets tricky because this is where we have to work things out in conversation with God to get clarity. But none of us like to have conversations anymore. We just want answers right away. We want Google to spit it out. And, you know, when we read the biographies of preachers and missionaries and people of great faith, the the wrestling for clarity is hard and difficult, And it's very different for each person, but always at the end of it all, it's worth it. And here's what's more interesting when you read their stories, right? What's more interesting is that the calling for each and every single one of them is the same. And that calling is from verse 8. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? That's the conversation he always starts with. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? You don't think God knew that Isaiah was creeping up in his throne room? Of course he did. This wasn't a random conversation God was having to himself. He knew Isaiah was there listening. He knew at that moment that he would be reconciled and able to hear, right? And a lot of us, we hear the voice of God calling us, prompting us, inviting us, challenging us, but we don't respond like Isaiah saying, here I am, send me. You see, that's the problem. We can't live that way. We can't live that way. The, the last few weeks, we've been highlighting stories, stories of people, you know, going out to different places in the world. And in fact, you know, we started this campaign that, you know, goes beyond our normal tithe and offerings to support the expansion of our partnerships and our ability to empower and send people to places where there is no good news, where there are no Christians, there are no churches, they have no knowledge of Jesus, right? We even said there's, that's 42% of all people living in this planet, Right, one of those partnerships that I'm particularly excited about is with an organization called Our Daughters International. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about this organization. This organization provides safe houses, shelter, food, counseling, and spiritual care to women rescued from sexual slavery at the Nepal India border. Uh, I'm gonna tell you how big the, the, the commission for this ministry is 25,000 girls, right? 25,000 girls, these are not women yet. These are girls are trafficked from Nepal to India each year. 25,000, that's just the bottom of the estimates, right? Um, The staff at Our Daughters International, they're primarily former survivors. What they do is they interview girls and women coming across the border, trying to identify trafficking victims. And each year they, they successfully identify between 900 and 1,200 you know, women, right? And then reunite them back with their families. Uh, About 150 each year, um, they're not able to go home because of the level of trauma that these girls have suffered, these women have suffered. Um, It's just not possible to go back home, right? And so they have to seek refuge at one of these safe houses, and they continue to receive emotional, physical, and spiritual care. Um, So this this is really big work. This is important work. And when they're at these safe houses, when, when there are people at these safe houses and there are people always there, they get training, right? They get training. They get formal education, something that they never had access to. Then they get vocational training on top of that, right? And they, they go deeper in discipleship. They receive the gospel, right? That, that's probably the best thing of all. And when they graduate from the, safe, from the safe house, right? After about a year and they're ready to reintegrate and reenter and be reunited to their families, they go back to their communities, not as you know, girls and women with no power, with no voices, but empowered with the tools and the skills to become community le- leaders to make a difference. And over the last 15 years, the, the victims, I shouldn't say victims, the daughters that are coming out of this program, they started and planted 1,200 churches in regions where there's no gospel access, right? That is what's amazing. <laughs> Um, you know, and and I shared that story with you and I shared a little bit about that organization because the founder is a guy named Ramesh, Ramesh, um, And, and, you know, I just want to share a bit of his testimony and I'm going to share it real quick. But his, he, he was born to a family of Hindu priests. His dad was a Hindu priest. His grandfather was a Hindu priest. And at a very young age, his mother ran away and left the family. And so, you know, this is him now. He, he wasn't abused by his parent, his dad or anything, but his mom was gone. His mom was gone. And um, in, in Hindu culture, it's shameful to not have a mom, right? It's, it's tragedy. And there, as a teenager, he, he had this life-threatening disease that there was no treatment available in his, in his town or in his village. And so he would have to walk five hours to a neighboring city to get treatment. And when he was at the hospital and... Uh, What what I think I I remember correctly is that this hospital was a Christian hospital because, you know, the Christians were the only ones brave enough to treat diseases like this. He was hugged by a nurse, even when he was untouchable, showing him love as a human being for the first time ever in his life, right? And and at that point, you know, he he received Jesus somewhere and he he heard the gospel message and he vowed, he vowed that he's going to go and find his mom because he felt that God was calling him to go reconcile with her, right? And so he got better, right? He left his home at a very young age and began searching for his mom in the city that he had heard that she was. And so in in his search for his mom, because in Hindu culture, I, I said earlier, that not having a mom is shameful, he was regularly abused and ridiculed by the locals at the city. And after a long failed search, it didn't go well, He was about to give up and go back home. And he was actually on his way home when he crossed paths with his his mom, right? He reunited with his mom on his way home because he had just given up. And what's interesting about this is she had been searching for him the very same time. And the reason she had been searching for him was because after she had left, she had found someone else remarried and then became a Christian because she also heard the gospel. And she received the calling by God to reconcile with the son that she had abandoned such a long time ago. And so now they're reconciled by the calling of God, right? Because they both obeyed in obedience. And so, you know, now they're reunited mom and son and he's living with her and and the stepfather. And, you know, sometime in the early 90s, Ramesh and his mom, they're ministering at, at the hospital, similar to how he was ministered to. And they're ministering to a woman with HIV status, right? She was an HIV positive woman. This is one of the first cases of HIV in India in the early 90s. And HIV in the early 90s was new all across the globe. And so compelled again by the calling and voice of God, Ramesh and his mother brought the woman home and cared for her. What they learned was that she was recently discarded as a sex slave. And most of her life was spent being forced to have sex with 20 to 30 men a day, right? And on her deathbed, on her deathbed, that woman asked Ramesh to go find her child. She had a child in the brothel that she was enslaved to and didn't know what happened to the child after she gave birth. So again, he took the call to go look for that child. And he went looking for an undocumented child in an undocumented business industry, in a very large city, in a very large country, like finding a needle in a haystack. And so he starts searching and searching. And after a long search, he finally finds the brothel. But when he gets there, the child's gone. He never finds the child. What he does find are 10 women, trafficked from Nepal to India to be sex slave. And so he goes on to liberate those women You see, the interesting about this organization, it wasn't started because of strategic planning. It wasn't started because people had their agendas right and all the answers were were there and written. God didn't lay it out plainly. What Ramesh did was he heard the voice of God every step of his way in his life and he obeyed God, right? And at the end of the day, when he looked at these women that were liberated, these victims, he no longer saw them as victims, but he saw them as God saw them. As daughters, right? And the question that I have for all of us today is this, are we being obedient to the call of God that's already on our lives? Are we responding in faith and obedience like Isaiah and Ramesh saying, yes, I've seen your majesty. I've experienced your love. Here I am, send me. And if that is you, and if that's what you want to answer, then I want to encourage you, take a step of faith and go to the world. That's what we're called to do. Go to the world. Let's all turn our attentions to the screens. I want to share a video of a young lady who responded to the voice of God and the call of the gospel. Jesus tells his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I had commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. The end of the age. Some of us were at that mountain with Jesus and the disciples standing with him. God has been tugging on our hearts, filling the voids of our thoughts to go make disciples of all nations. And our struggle is not that we're called, it's what happens when we actually obey the voice of God by going. In, in verses 9 through 13 in Isaiah 6 that we read earlier, God tells Isaiah exactly what to expect. He says, It'll be a struggle but there's hope no matter how bleak it looks. And God tells Isaiah in verse 13, the holy seed is the stump. That when death is all that's around, that God brings life. God still has the ability to bring life. And that's where we peg our hope. We peg our hope on the voice of God that when we obey and go, that he will bring life. He will bring life where there is no life. I want to give all of us three ways we can respond to God's calling, compelling us to go. First, you can go to another location, another culture, uh, another country, another people group, and live and work as a missionary for the sake of the gospel. And if that's you, if that's something that God has been calling and tugging on your heart to do, you know, let's talk. I'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, Maybe, maybe yours is not to go to another people group or another place, but it's to share the gospel with people who have walked A life similar to your own, like Kabira in the story here. People who have the same backgrounds, the same hurts, the same pains, the same scars, same upbringings. Go after them. Go after them. They're literally waiting for you to invite them into a conversation about Jesus. Lastly, this is something that we can all do, right? It's to put our money where our mouth is by sending and supporting the advancement of the gospel, both globally and locally, funding those who are going and resourcing those who are going. You can scan your QR codes in the Mother's Day insert or give online. But we actually have a chance to leverage the wealth that we have in this country to equip and encourage and enable people to receive Jesus Christ as their savior, to be reconciled with God. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. And this is where I'm gonna leave you. If Jesus is precious to you, You will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it into your child's ear. You will be telling it to your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, something needs to change in a world where 42% of the people living on the planet have no access to know you. Lord, they have no hope of ever being reconciled with their creator and they, they're going to end up dying randomly without ever having a chance for their sins to be atoned for. God, what an immense need. And we realize that you designed our lives to spread hope amongst amongst the most hopeless in the world. And we want to honor that purpose and give those people the same opportunity that you have given us. Belonging, belonging to you as a son and daughter. Lord, Father, just as we know you called Isaiah, we know we are called because we have an opportunity to worship you freely with sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we know with the grace that we freely received your mercy your son Jesus Christ atoning for our sins, that we have the time and place to examine our lives, to listen to your voice, so that we can be confident in the faith that you provide to follow you wholeheartedly. Lord, I, I want to pray for those who are wrestling with their calling right now, Father, that they not wrestle with whether it's your voice or that the places that they go are too dangerous or the things are too steep, the risks are too high, but that you can give these Men and women, assurances that when they place their trust in you, just like Isaiah did with his ministry, like the disciples did in their ministry, that you will give them boldness and a resolve to lay down their lives for the glory of your gospel. God, for those of us who who still haven't heard from you and haven't seen you, God, open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to what you want from us. Lord, fill us with your spirit in this place and guide us to place our trust In your son, Jesus, we pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. Let's all stand and worship the Lord.